Book One, Chapter Three, Part Two of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shelgrim. The name fell squarely in the midst of the conversation, abrupt, grave, sombre, big with suggestion, pregnant with huge associations. No one in the group who was not familiar with it, no one, for that matter, in the county, the state, the whole reach of the West, the entire Union, that did not entertain convictions as to the man who carried it, a giant figure in the end-of-the-century finance, a product of circumstance, an inevitable result of conditions, characteristic, typical, symbolic of ungovernable forces. In the new movement, the new finance, the reorganization of capital, the amalgamation of powers, the consolidation of enormous enterprises, no one individual was more constantly in the eye of the world, no one was more hated, more dreaded, no one more compelling of unwilling tribute to his commanding genius, to the colossal intellect operating the width of an entire continent, than the president and owner of the Pacific and Southwestern. "'I don't think, however, he has moved yet,' said Magnus. "'Well, the thing for us, then,' exclaimed Osterman, "'is to stand from under before he does.' "'Moved yet,' snorted Annixter. "'He's probably moved so long ago that we've never noticed it.' "'In any case,' hazarded Magnus, "'it is uh, scarcely probable that the deal, whatever it is to be, has been consummated. "'If we act quickly, there may be a chance.' "'Act quickly? How?' demanded Annixter. "'Good Lord, what can you do?' We're cinched already. It all amounts to just this. You can't buck against the railroad. We've tried it and tried it and are stuck every time. You, yourself, Derek, have just lost your grain rate case. S. Behrman did you up. Shelgrim owns the courts. He's got men like Alstein in his pocket. He's got the railroad commission in his pocket. He's got the governor of the state in his pocket. He keeps a million-dollar lobby at Sacramento every minute of the time the legislature is in session. He's got his own men on the floor of the United States Senate. He has the whole thing organized like an army corps. What are you going to do? He sits in his office in San Francisco and pulls the strings, and we've got to dance. Yeah, but, well, but, uh, hazarded Broderson, but there's the, uh, the in-state commerce commission at least on long-haul rates they oh yes the interstate commerce commission shouted annixter scornfully that's great ain't it the greatest punch and judy show on earth it's almost as good as the railroad commission there never was and there never will be a california railroad commission not in the pay of the p and s w it is to the railroad commission nevertheless remarked magnus that the people of the state must look for relief that is our only hope once elect commissioners who would be loyal to the people and the whole system of excessive rates falls to the ground well why not have a railroad commission of our own then suddenly declared young osterman because it can't be done retorted annixter you can't buck against the railroad and if you could, you can't organize the farmers in the San Joaquin. We tried it once, and it was enough to turn your stomach. The railroad quietly bought delegates through S. Berman and did us up. Well, that's 
the game to play, said Osterman decisively. By delegates. It's the only game that seems to win, admitted Harran gloomily. Or ever will win, exclaimed Osterman, a sudden excitement seeming to take possession of him. His face, the face of a comic actor, with its great slit of mouth and stiff red ears, went abruptly pink. Look here, he cried. This thing is getting desperate. We, we've fought and fought in the courts and out, and, and we've tried agitation and all the rest of it, and S. Behrman sacks us every time. Now comes the time when there's a prospect of a big crop. We've had no rain for two years, and the land has had a long rest. If there is any rain at all this winter, we'll have a bonanza year, and just at this very moment when we've got our chance, a chance to pay off our mortgages and get clear of debt and make a strike, here is Shelgrim making a deal to cinch us and put up rates. And now here's the primaries coming off and a new railroad commission going in. That's why Shelgrim chose this time to make his deal. If we wait till Shilgrim pulls it off, we're done for. That's flat. I tell you, we're in a fix. If we don't keep an eye open. Things are getting desperate. Magnus has just said that the key to the whole thing is the Railroad Commission. Well, why not have a commission of our own? Never mind how we get it. Let's get it. If it's got to be bought, let's buy it and, and put our own men on it and dictate what the rates will be. Suppose it costs a hundred thousand dollars. Well... We'll get back more than that in cheap rates. Mr. Osterman, said Magnus, fixing the young man with a swift glance. Mr. Osterman, uh, you are proposing a scheme of bribery, sir. I am proposing, repeated Osterman, a scheme of bribery. <laughs> exactly so. And a crazy wild-eyed scheme at that, said Annixter gruffly. Even supposing you bought a railroad commission and got your schedule of low rates, what happens? The P&SW crowd get out an injunction and tie you up. Well, they would tie themselves up, too. Hauling at low rates is better than no hauling at all. The wheat has got to be moved. Oh, rot, cried Annixter. Aren't you ever going to learn any sense? Don't you know that cheap transportation would benefit the Liverpool buyers and not us? Can't it be fed into you that you can't buck against the railroad? When you try to buy a board of commissioners, don't you see that you'll have to bid against the railroad? Bid against a corporation that can chuck out millions to our thousands. Do you think you can bid against the P&SW? The railroad don't need to know we are in the game against them till we've got our men seated. And when you've got them seated, what's to prevent the corporation buying them right over your head? If we've got the right kind of men in, they could not be bought that way, interposed Harran. I don't know but what there's something in what Osterman says. We'd have the naming of the commission, and we'd name honest men. Annixter struck the table with his fist in exasperation. Honest men, he shouted. The kind of men you could get to go into such a scheme would have to be dishonest to begin with. Broderson, shifting uneasily in his place, fingering his beard with a vague, uncertain gesture, spoke again. It would be the, the chance of them, uh, our commissioners, selling out against the certainty of Shelgrim doing us up. That is, uh, he hastened to add, almost uh, a certainty, a uh, pretty near a certainty. Of course it would be a chance, exclaimed Osterman. But it's come to the point where we've got to take chances, risk a big stake to make a big strike, and risk is better than sure failure. 
I can be no party to a scheme of avowed bribery and corruption, Mr. Osterman, declared Magnus, a ring of sincerity in his voice. I am surprised at you, sir, that you should even broach the subject in my hearing. And, cried Annixter, it can't be done. I don't know, muttered Harran. Maybe it just wants a little spark like this to fire the whole train. Magnus glanced at his son in considerable surprise. He had not expected this of Harran, but so great was his affection for his son, so accustomed had he become to listening to his advice, to respecting his opinions, that for the moment, after the first shock of surprise and disappointment, he was influenced to give a certain degree of attention to this new proposition. He in no way countenanced it. At any moment he was prepared to rise in his place and denounce it, and Osterman both. It was trickery of the most contemptible order, a thing he believed to be unknown to the old school of politics and statesmanship to which he was proud to belong. But since Harran, even for one moment, considered it, he, Magnus, who trusted Harran implicitly, would do likewise, if it was only to oppose and defeat it in its very beginnings. And abruptly the discussion began. Gradually, Osterman, by dint of his clamor, his strident reiteration, the plausibility of his glib, ready assertions, the ease with which he extricated himself when apparently driven to a corner, completely won over old Broderson to his way of thinking. Osterman bewildered him with his volubility, the lightning rapidity with which he leaped from one subject to another, garrulous, witty, flamboyant, terrifying the old man with pictures of the swift approach of ruin, the imminence of danger. Annixter, who led the argument against him, loving argument though he did, appeared to poor advantage, unable to present his side effectively. He called Osterman a fool, a goat, a senseless, crazy-headed jackass, but was unable to refute his assertions. His debate was the clumsy heaving of brickbats, brutal, direct. He contradicted everything Osterman said as a matter of principle, making conflicting assertions, declarations that were absolutely inconsistent, and when Osterman or Harran used these against him, could only exclaim, Well, in a way it's so, and then again in a way it isn't. But suddenly Osterman discovered a new argument. If we swing this deal, he cried, we've got old Jelly Belly Behrman right where we want him. He's the man that does us every time, cried Harran. If there is dirty work to be done in which the railroad doesn't wish to appear, it is S. Behrman who does it. If the freight rates are to be adjusted to squeeze us a little harder, it is S. Behrman who regulates what we can stand. If there's a judge to be bought, it is S. Behrman who does the bargaining. If there is a jury to be bribed, it is S. Behrman who handles the money. If there is an election to be jobbed, it is S. Behrman who manipulates it. It's Behrman here and Behrman there. It is Behrman we come against every time we make a move. It is Behrman who has the grip of us and will never let us go till he has squeezed us bone dry. Why, when I think of it, oh, sometimes I wonder I keep my hands off the man. Osterman got to his feet, leaning across the table, gesturing wildly with his right hand, his serio-comic face with its bald forehead and stiff red ears, was inflamed with excitement. He took the floor, creating an impression, attracting all attention to himself, playing to the gallery, gesticulating, clamorous, full of noise. "'Well, now is the chance to get even,' he vociferated. "'It is now or never. 
you can take it and save the situation for yourselves and all california or you can leave it and rot on your own ranches buck i know you i know you're not afraid of anything that wears skin i know you've got sand all through you and i know if i showed you how we could put our deal through and seat a commission of our own you wouldn't hang back governor you're a brave man you know the advantage of prompt and fearless action you are not the sort to shrink from taking chances to play for big stakes is just your game to, to stake a fortune on the turn of a card you didn't get the reputation for being the strongest poker player in el dorado county for nothing now here's the biggest gamble that ever came your way if we stand up to it like men with guts in us we'll win out if we hesitate we're lost i don't suppose you can help playing the goat osterman remarked annixter but what's your idea what do you think we can do i'm not saying he hastened to interpose that you've uh, anyways convinced me by all this cackling i know as well as you that we are in a hole but i knew that before i came here tonight you've not done anything to make me change my mind but just what do you propose let's hear it well i say the first thing to do is to see disbro he's the political boss of the denver pueblo and mojave road we will have to get in with the machine some way and that's particularly why i want magnus with us he knows politics better than any of us and if we don't want to get sold again we will have to have someone that's in the know to steer us the only politics i understand mr osterman answered magnus sternly are honest politics you must look elsewhere for your political manager i refuse to have any part in this matter if the railroad commission can be nominated legitimately if your arrangements can be made without bribery i am with you to the last iota of my ability well you can't get what you want without paying for it contradicted annixter broderson was about to speak when osterman kicked his foot under the table he himself held his peace he was quick to see that if he could involve magnus and annixter in an argument annixter for the mere love of contention would oppose the governor and without knowing it would commit himself to his osterman's scheme this was precisely what happened in a few moments annixter was declaring at top voice his readiness to mortgage the crop of quien sabe if necessary for the sake of busting s behrman he could see no great obstacle in the way of controlling the nominating convention so far as securing the naming of two railroad commissioners was concerned two was all they needed probably it would cost money you didn't get something for nothing it would cost them a, a good deal more if they sat like lumps on a log and played tiddlywinks while shellgrim sold out from under them then there was this too the p and s w were hard up just then the shortage on the state's wheat crop for the last two years had affected them too they were retrenching in expenditures all along the line hadn't they just cut wages in all departments there was this affair of dykes to prove it the railroad didn't always act as a unit either there was always a party in it that opposed spending too much money he would bet that party was strong just now he was kind of sick himself of being kicked by s behrman hadn't that pip turned up on his ranch that very day to bully him about his own line fence next he would be telling him what kind of clothes he ought to wear harran had the right idea somebody had got to be busted mighty soon and he didn't propose it should be he now you're talking something like sense observed osterman 
I thought you would see it like that when you got my idea. Your idea, your idea, cried Annixter. Why, I've had this idea myself for over three years. What about Disbro? asked Harran, hastening to interrupt. Why do we want to see Disbro? Disbro is the political man for the Denver Pueblo and Mojave, answered Osterman. And you see it's like this. The Mojave Road doesn't run up into the valley at all. Their terminus is way to the south of us, and they don't care anything about grain rates to the San Joaquin. They don't care how anti-railroad the commission is, because the commission's rulings can't affect them. But they divide traffic with the P.S.W. in the southern part of the state, and they have a good deal of influence with that road. I want to get the Mojave Road through Disbro to recommend a commissioner of our choosing to the P.S.W., and have the P.S.W. adopt him as their own. Who, for instance? Darrow. That Los Angeles man, remember? Well, Darrow is no particular friend of Disbro, said Annixter. Why should Disbro take him up? Precisely, cried Osterman. We make it worth Disbro's while to do it. We go to him and say, Mr. Disbro, you manage the politics for the Mojave Railroad, and what you say goes with your board of directors. We want you to adopt our candidate for railroad commissioner for the third district. How much do you want for doing it? I know we can buy Disbro. That gives us one commissioner. We need not bother about that any more. In the first district, we don't make any move at all. We let the political managers of the P&SW nominate whoever they like. Then we concentrate all our efforts to putting in our man in the second district. There is where the big fight will come. I see perfectly well what you mean, Mr. Osterman, observed Magnus. But make no mistake, sir, as to my attitude in this business. You may count on me as out of it entirely. Well, uh, suppose we win, put in Annixter truculently, already acknowledging himself as involved in the proposed undertaking. Suppose we win and get low rates for hauling grain. How about you then? <laughs> you count yourself in then, don't you? You get all the benefit of lower rates without sharing any of the risks we take to secure them. No, nor any of the expense either. No, you won't dirty your fingers with helping us put this deal through. But you won't be so cursed particular when it comes to sharing the profits, will you? Magnus rose abruptly to his full height, the nostrils of his thin, hawk-like nose vibrating, his smooth-shaven face paler than ever. "'Stop right where you are, sir,' he exclaimed. "'You forget yourself, Mr. Annixter. Please understand that I tolerate such words as you have permitted yourself to make use of from no man, not even my guest. I shall ask you to apologize." In an instant he dominated the entire group, imposing a respect that was as much fear as admiration. No one made response. For the moment he was the master again, the leader. Like so many delinquent schoolboys, the others cowered before him, ashamed, put to confusion, unable to find their tongues. In that brief instant of silence following upon Magnus's outburst, and while he held them subdued and overmastered, the fabric of their scheme of corruption and dishonesty trembled to its base. It was the last protest of the old school, rising up there in denunciation of the new order of things, the statesmen opposed to the politician, honesty, rectitude, uncompromising integrity, prevailing for the last time 
against the devious maneuvering, the evil communications, the rotten expediency of a corrupted institution. End of Book One, Chapter Three, Part Two